with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is a letter in the New Testament written by a man named Paul. If you're using the pew Bible there that's in one of the chairs, it's going to be on page 984. And when we answer that, that community question, what does the, the, the Christian community look like? There are so many different places we can go uh, to answer that question. Uh, and all of them have different emphases, and yet all of them have lots of similarities. We actually just left a series in the book of First Corinthians that was all about fostering community around the cross. Um, so this is uh, this is just one passage that we could use as an example. Colossians three, verses twelve through seventeen. Let's give attention to God's word. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy. And beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony." And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. Let's pray. Father, there are so many words in here, so many descriptions, so many good things uh, that it's really easy to lose track or it's really easy to become discouraged. The hope of what we will be, the calling to what we can be, is very daunting and intimidating. And we need to acknowledge, uh, Holy Spirit, that if you're at work in us, we're going to read this description and we're going to see a gap. And we're going to see a gap between who we are and who you are calling us to be. God, I pray that you would close that gap by your grace, that we would not be discouraged, but that we would be convicted where necessary and encouraged to pursue Biblical community, what it looks like to be your people living in this world. So we ask for your help. We ask for your help in understanding this word. Uh, We ask for your help in applying this word. And we ask it in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. I know I have uh, have used this illustration before. I think I even used it maybe even like less than a month ago. Uh, But... You know, I've been here long enough now that I really don't have any new material. So I'm just going to say the same things over and over again. Uh, but, you know, we, we love renovation shows. And from what I can gather, most people do, right? Um, for whatever reason, there is something in us that likes to see the old and the broken down restored and made new, Right? Um, so whether if you're a Chip and Joanna fan uh, or, you know, like you're old school and you're extreme makeover home edition fan, whatever 
whichever one of those you love or any of the other varieties, like there's a whole channel that we don't have, uh, Home and Garden Television, that's like solely dedicated to this, right? So clearly that's an itch that we love to have scratched is, is home renovation shows, right? Um, and I think there's, because there's something in us that likes renewal, that likes restoration. I mean, raise your hand if you like to drive through a downtown area where all the shops are boarded up, the windows are broken, the signs are torn and faded, um, you know, there's trash everywhere. Anybody prefer that? Of course not, right? But you ever think about why? Why do we, why is that off-putting to us, but when we when we drive through a downtown that has been renewed and renovated, and there's lights on, and there's people there, what do we? What is it that's so compelling about that? And I would and I would just hazard this guess. I think it's because it's a, it's signs of life and signs of health, right? That when that when the the signs are fresh, when the windows are in, when there's people in the shops, something's happening there. And so, in that same way, right, uh, because renovation reminds us of, of life and health and growth, in that same way, we're going to look at this idea of community, right? And this, this idea that the gospel creates a new community. Uh, Paul, you may, have been, you may be familiar with 2 Corinthians 5.17, um, that everyone who is in Christ is a new creation, that Jesus is creating new people. And that what Jesus has done is create a new community, what the New Testament calls the church. So a new community, a new gathering of people who help each other. And what do we help each other do? We help each other imitate the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul uh, is talking about in this passage, that, that the function of the church community is that we help each other follow Jesus, imitate Jesus as we grow. That's what we are to be about. Before anything else, we are to be about that. That's what church should look like. So in the good news of Jesus, we are not simply forgiven. And I, and I, and I even hate phrasing it that way, but it's important uh, because forgiveness is crucial, right? We, we must be, we need to be forgiven of our sins. That is what Jesus came to do. But that is not all Jesus came to do. So in the good news of Jesus, we are not simply forgiven, but we are transformed. We are made right with God, but we are also made new by God. And we want to hold both of those realities. And we need to emphasize the we. When Paul writes this, it is to a group of people, right? So what I want you to do is, 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 after I've read that passage as we go through it this morning, we have a tendency to think in the I, right? How can I reflect what Paul's talking about here? But I want, I want you to think this morning, because it's what Paul's thinking about, the we. How do we, as a church, reflect this together? One of the common... Uh, Words, one of the common descriptions of believers in the New Testament, Paul uses it and Peter uses it, uh, the household of God, the home, the family of God. So as a family, uh, what, is, what is this community? And so as, uh, as the family of God, we need to do three things that I th- think are in this passage. We need to remember, 
our identity. Right? If we're going to grow into these kind of people, first we have to remember our identity. Second, we have to put on our new character. And then third, we need to embrace our new way of life. So remember our new identity, put on our new character, and embrace our new way of life. What do I mean when I say remember our identity? Well, look at what Paul says in in verse 12. He says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Do you see what he did there? He gave them a command, but before he goes on to finish it, he grounds it in who they are. He grounds it in the fact that they are chosen, holy, and beloved. My friend Davey always tells the story of when he was growing up, whenever his parents would take him and drop him off at the mall or wherever they were going. Because yes, kids, we used to do that, get dropped off at the mall. It's a thing. Um, and he said his mom would always say, before, he let, before she let him out of the car, she would say, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Think for a second about everything that's wrapped up in that phrase. I think hopefully it means a lot more than, please don't embarrass me, whatever you do in public is a reflection of us. So so bear that in mind. That's probably an aspect of it. But but think deeper. Uh, Remember that I love you. Remember that you are mine. Remember who we are trying to raise you to be. Right? All of that. And what, is, and what is that mother doing? She's pointing to her son's identity. This is who you are, so live like it. This is who you are, so live like it. And that's what Paul is doing, right? And we want to say this, first and foremost, spiritual maturity means... Learning to live into what God has already made us to be. Spiritual growth. If we're going to grow, right? we're not growing to earn something from God, but we are growing to become what God has already declared us to be. Just look at these uh, words, the way that he describes our identity. He says, he, he calls them God's chosen ones or God's elect. The same title was applied to Israel in the Old Testament. And it's a title, I think, that makes many people uncomfortable. That God would choose. That God would elect. But you have to come to grips with it because it's all over the Bible, Old and New Testament. Jesus uses this word. Paul uses this word. Peter uses this word. Um, John uses this word. Right? This is, this is a common description of God's people. They are His elect. His chosen. And I think the reason, of course, that that makes us uncomfortable is because it sounds really unfair. Right? Why? Maybe the question goes like this. Who does God think He is? that he would choose some. But you can almost kind of hear the hubris in the question. Who does God think he is? God. Okay? Um, but, 
But even more to the point, I just want you to think, if that sounds unfair, and I, and I realize the tension there, that there are some whom God has placed His love on, and there are others whom He has not. And that is a hard reality of Scripture to grapple with. And it's not a mystery that we really have the full ability to pry into. But, but if it makes you uncomfortable, or if you're even prone to say, no, 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 that can't be the God of the Bible, I just want to, let's, let's walk through the Bible quickly, and I want you to think about how God interacts with the people in the Bible. Okay? So it doesn't always necessarily fit our logical scheme, the way that we would like things to go, but I just want you to observe how God deals with different humans in the Bible. Think back to the book of Genesis, uh, when God calls a man named Abraham. Where is Abraham? Well, Abraham's a moon worshiper in the city of Ur. He's not looking for God and he's not worshiping God. He doesn't know God until God comes to him and reveals himself to him. And he calls Abraham out of his lifestyle. He elects Abraham. Uh, Fast forward into the book of Exodus when God's people, Israel, are enslaved in Egypt. These are Abraham's descendants, and God has made promises to Abraham. And so to fulfill those promises, God goes and gets a man named Moses. And where is Moses? He's herding sheep on a mountain in the wilderness, not looking for God, not seeking for God. God approaches him. God calls to him. Fast forward into the New Testament. Even the writer of this letter, a man named Paul. He's a religious terrorist, a zealot. Uh, He's persecuting the church of God. You can read about this in the book of Acts. He believes he's doing the right thing, breathing, as he describes it later, threats and murder against the church of God. And he's on his way to Damascus to arrest more Christians... When God stops him dead in his tracks, blinds him, and turns his life in a 180 degrees. Again, Paul's not looking for it. God just does it. So, what that tells us is that we are not, if, if this truth makes us uncomfortable, maybe it's because we think we're kind of in a neutral state before God. Like, morally speaking, we're just neutral. Everybody's neutral. Um, but that's not really the case. What, what Scripture demonstrates time and again is that human beings are running headlong in the opposite direction and that God must enter into and intervene and draw back. That's what we mean when we talk about uh, God's election. Now, if God has found you, friend, it is not because you were in a neutral state waiting on Him. Rather, the choice in salvation always belongs to God. Now, that doesn't mean that there is not human responsibility or human response. But we we affirm that the first mover is always God. Uh, He is the one who moves first. And so far from being a sign that God is unfair, election is actually a sign that God is incredibly gracious. That He is the sort of God who comes after sinners and saves sinners from themselves. That's the testimony that we find in the Bible, and I would be happy to talk more about it at length. 
Paul says, as God's chosen ones, holy. Holy, that word means set apart. So what God does is he takes his holy ones, or excuse me, his chosen ones, his people, and he sets them apart. He gives them a new status. We tend to think of, of, when we think of holiness, we tend to think of becoming holy or growing in holiness or doing certain things. And that is true. But the way that it means here, in one sense, in one very important sense, we are already holy. We are already set apart. God has declared, these are mine. Uh, that's what He does when uh, He sets us apart. And we are dearly loved. Chosen, holy, beloved. Which means this wasn't some kind of cold, calculated business decision. Right? God doesn't look over the mass of humanity and do a quick cost-benefit analysis, right? And say, hmm, what's the best move for me here? Right? I love, I love the way he's described in Deuteronomy 7, right? Where we see that God's character is one of free, unconditional love. And he loves whomever he wants to. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. As Israel, after Israel has been saved from Egypt, Moses describes them this way. He says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. Sound familiar? So, the same way that Israel was described in the Old Testament, the church is described in the New. One people of God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Notice this in verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. Uh, So, in modern terms, you're not very impressive. You're not much to look at. That's not why God has set His love on you and chosen you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Did you catch that? It is not because you are more in number that God loves you, but He loves you because He loves you. His love is a reason for His love. There's no deeper foundation than that. It is because God loves His people that He sets them apart, that He makes them holy. And so as we talk about how the gospel shapes our community, we must emphasize, right, as, we, as we're about to walk through these values, what this character looks like, what, uh, what our character looks like, what our, what our walk looks like, we have to assert right at the very beginning that we are not aiming to earn any favor with God. We are not aiming, uh, we're not earning a position here. Uh, rather, He has secured our position We are His chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's our identity, and we live out of that. We don't live to earn it. We don't manifest all these virtues to become these people. Rather, God has declared, we are these people, so now live. That's a, that's a, that may seem like a small shift, but it's huge. It changes the way we pursue everything else. If I am secure in who God has called me to be, if I am secure in my identity, then anything is possible. 
I don't have to earn God's favor. He has called me His and He loves me. So what does living out that identity look like? Well, look at uh, again at verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Were you hoping for something a whole lot more impressive? Right? Uh, what in your mind does holiness look like? What in your mind does spiritual maturity look like? I think we usually, at least for me, right, I tend to think in terms of a, of a certain list of actions, right? That spiritual growth is performing these things. Uh, reading the Bible more, praying more, etc. But the way Paul first describes us is not in a list of actions, but as a certain kind of people, right? Uh, he says, put on. And in just the previous uh, few verses, he talked about the things we are to put off. This list of vices, this old suit of clothes, right? We have put off the old man. That's who we were. And now we're a new man, so we need new clothes, right? We're a new person and we need new clothes. It's time to put on our new suit. And what does it look like? Compassionate hearts. Hearts of mercy, sensitive to the needs of others. Kindness. Kindness, a gracious attitude to those around us. Humility or lowliness. Now this one's a real shock because it, wasn't a, it was not a virtue in Paul's, Paul's day. Humility was not a virtue in Greek society where these people lived. And you know what? It's not really a virtue in our society either. How, how often are you told to pursue lowliness? To make yourself less. Alright, we're, we're in the business of making ourselves more. We gotta get out, we gotta get out there and we gotta look good. And Paul says, no, humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. Esteem others more important than yourself. Meekness or gentleness. Uh, meekness is not weakness. It's not spinelessness. Spineless, yeah, it's not spinelessness, right? But meekness is the consideration for others that causes you to waive your rights. Man, when was the last time we did that? When was the last time that was promoted in the public square, right? We demand our rights. You won't take away my rights. And yet Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Not the weak, not the spineless, not those who have no conviction, but those who have their convictions, holding to them, say, okay, right? I can waive my rights for your benefit if necessary. Patience, or the old word, long-suffering. Long-suffering, right? That we endure wrong rather than fly into rage or vengeance. These are these five virtues, right? You can see how they kind of overlap with each other, describing the same person. And then Paul tells us how to live them out. How do we live out those virtues? Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. 
if one has a complaint against another. Now, I know none of us in here have ever had a complaint against anybody else. We all get along just fine. But, should that ever happen, right? We're to forgive each other and we exercise this lowly character, this humble, meek character. Out of that we forgive. Why? Why do we forgive? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also. So you also must forgive. What are we doing? We're imitating how Jesus has treated us. We're imitating how Jesus has treated us. Um, bearing with one another, I was having a conversation uh, with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they said, "Man, if if um, if Jesus treated me the way I treated my wife, uh, I would be I would be hopelessly lost, right?" If he lost patience with me the way that I lose patience with my wife, I would be in serious trouble. Right? When we think about when we think about the struggles of doing life together, of how much she really gets on your nerves, right? Uh, of how of, of what you of what you wish he would say. I'm not talking about your marriage, by the way, I'm talking about church life. Um, right? I gotta, I need, I gotta make my point. I deserve to be heard on this. Paul says, bear with one another. Bear with one another. What does that mean? That means sometimes I'm kinda heavy. And you gotta carry me. And that means sometimes you're kinda heavy. And I gotta carry you. We gotta, we gotta carry each other. Cause we're not always gonna be nice to each other. Sometimes we'll have a complaint. And it might even be a good one. You may even you may have a really good point, a legitimate complaint against me. You probably have several. And Paul says we need to learn to forgive one another. Forgive those complaints when they come up. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And then he says this to kind of tie it all together. Above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, right? Love is the, the chief virtue. It is the commandment that summarizes all of the other commandments. If we can learn to love, then we uh, will have figured out spiritual maturity, right? We are to continually strive to love one another. Um, so... I want you, if, if necessary, you can close your eyes, but I want you to, to get a picture in your mind of what these characteristics, these virtues, would look like if we live them out in real life. Get a picture in your mind of what this would look like if we live this out in real life. And then ask, what do I need to change? What, what would I have to change about the way I view other people? Not even what I say about other people, but what I think in here. What would I have to change about the way I view other people? What would I have to change about the way I use my words? About the way I use social media? Those are your words too, by the way. 
Just because you type them and don't speak them doesn't mean they're any less your words. What about the way I talk to my children? Or the way I talk to my spouse? Get a picture in your mind of what this looks like. What is this? What would this character look like uh, if I began to put it on? How, how do I need to put these things on? So we need to remember our identity, put on our new character, and then embrace our new way of life. So flowing out of those virtues, Paul gives us a description of a new way of life. Verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That means that, means that Jesus' peace governs every area of my life of our lives, of our church. And by peace of Christ, he's not, he's not talking about like an inward sense of calm, like, I just have a peace about that. That's not what he's talking about, right? What he's saying is understanding that because Jesus has declared peace between you and God and between you and others, that you can then live that peace out, right? So this is not an inward sense of calm, but rather a realization that, that hostility between you and God is over. That the war is over. That there's nothing to fight for. There's nothing to fight for in the gospel. Jesus has earned everything for you. There's no reason for us to be at war with each other. There's no reason for strife or infighting or bitterness. There is no war because God has finished it. So, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so that's parallel to the peace of Christ, right? What, what this tells us is that Christian community thrives when God's word, God's voice in the scriptures, particularly about Jesus, moves in. Right? He says, let it dwell in you richly. So we need the Word to take center stage, right? To move in, to make itself at home. We're going to let it redecorate, right? It gets to put on some new coats of paint, maybe get us some new furniture, okay? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it move in, make itself at home. That will change the way we do life. It changes the way uh, we talk to each other. Notice what how Paul uh, goes on. He says, um, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, this is, this is crucial for us to understand. He doesn't say, let one person teach and admonish everybody else. Not that there's not authority structure in the church, not that there's not pastors and elders and all that. But that, 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 it, that at its fundamental level, the church is a body of people who teach and exhort each other. That there's a give and take to this. That as the Word lives in us, out of that Word, I'm speaking to you. And out of that Word, you're speaking to me. We are at teaching and admonishing each other. And as strange as it sounds, singing. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God, that our worship, that the way that we sing is not just for the benefit of God, but for the benefit of all of us. 
Which, by the way, if you're, if you're new with us this morning, if you've never been here, you might have noticed that some of our words, some of the words in our songs sound kind of archaic. Right? They might sound a little bit old. Now, hopefully the tunes were catchy, at least when the mics were working, right? Um, but that's because we want good, rich lyrics in our songs. Because we believe that worship has a teaching function. And in fact, that we remember things better. You remember things better when you put them to music, don't you? Right? There's a reason songs get stuck in your head and not just sayings. There's something about music that has an effect on the human brain. And Paul's echoing that here, that when we sing together, it's part of letting the Word dwell in us richly. It's teaching us and encouraging us in Christ. Um, so it's, this new way of life is ruled by the peace of Christ, centered on the Word of Christ, and it is lived thankfully. I don't know who said it, uh, but that the kind of that famous one-liner that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy, right? So when most of us just kind of look around and we see all of the things that other people have, or the ways that other people are that we wish we could be, what does that do? Does that, does that encourage you? Does that just make you happy? No, right? That's a function of our ingratitude. That we, uh, that we actually, that, that our joy is robbed. But what does gratitude do? Gratitude restores our joy. We remember all that God has done. Not simply what He has given us, not, not simply the material blessings, but what God has done for us in Christ. That should create in us grateful hearts, that we live with gratitude. And so Paul summarizes the whole thing in verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. No part of life is outside of the rule of Jesus. Right? Paul says, let everything you do, in word and in deed, not just when you're here, but wherever you go. There is, uh, there is no secret area of your life. There is no portion of your life that is closed off to Jesus. Right? His word and peace permeate everything. And so we can live, uh, whatever we do, whatever we say, we do it all in the name of Christ. We live thankfully following Him. Now, Look back over that description. I realize that there's a lot of stuff there. Look back over that description of the new community. Is there a gap? Is there a gap between what we are and what we are called to be? I can say yes, absolutely. It's funny, I can have in one week... Uh, two distinct, different, two different conversations. Uh, this has happened more than once, but at least once where somebody has said, man, we just love Grace Fellowship. The community there is great. We really belong and feel plugged in. We just, we, family loves it. It's great. And in that same week, I can have another conversation like, nah, man, we're just, we're, we, we're on the outside. We don't, we don't feel like we're plugged in at all. Like it's, it's a hard place for us to be, right? That's saying that those are two different descriptions about the same group of people. 
which tells me there's a gap. And in some ways, there's, there's always going to be a gap until Jesus returns. Right? We're, we're never going to be full and complete what God has called us to be until Jesus comes back. But, I want to acknowledge that gap and I want us to move into it. I want, I want, I want God by His grace to close that gap. How? Sola bootstrapper. Just going to try harder. Right? No, it's not right. Go back up to the, uh, to the beginning of chapter 3. Paul, this, this, this passage we read today is part of a, a much larger section. And Paul begins it this way. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What's Paul doing? It's kind of what we did in the first point. He's grounding our... Uh, transformation in our salvation. He's saying, if you've been raised with Christ, if you're united to Christ, if this is your identity, if Jesus has raised you from the dead and you have died to Him, I mean, you have died with Him to the old man, then seek these things. Who do you think was being described when Paul talked about a compassionate heart, kindness, meekness, the ability to forgive those who hurt you? Peace. Who do you think Paul was describing when he used those words? Jesus. When Paul describes the new community, these virtues and this new way of life, he's actually using descriptions of God. All of those characteristics are God. They are God moving towards us. Do you want to have those characteristics? Then you have to be one with God. You have, to, you have to be united to Jesus in order to live like Jesus. Right? So the old bracelet, what would Jesus do? That's not really the question. The question is not what would Jesus do, but what has Jesus done? Jesus has paid for me. Jesus has canceled the record of debt that stood against me. Jesus has absorbed the wrath that I deserve. Jesus has given me His Holy Spirit living in me so that I can be empowered to live like Him. We have to believe the Gospel. The only way those titles and those virtues become ours is when we are tethered to Christ and we seek them. And any attempt at goodness apart from our union with Christ will fall flat on its face. So, remember your identity. Put on the new virtues. Put on the new character. And embrace a new way of life. Because Jesus has made it possible. Trust in Him. Let's pray. Lord, we just simply pray that Your good news would transform our living together.
that your word would dwell in us richly, that you, Holy Spirit, would reshape us, remake us, cause us to be the people that you have made us, that you declare us to be. May your love bind everything together. May we be people of kindness and compassion and humility and meekness. And we pray it all in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please stand and let's uh, now worship through our giving of gifts and tithes. I think it's on.